0: Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Today we we wrap up our series that we're calling Family. Next week, we start a brand new series where we're going to be in the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to have a study guide that's going to walk you through. So if you want to dive deeper into the text, that's going to be available at RedeemerCommunity.com tomorrow morning. You can download it whenever. Um, It's got group discussion, family discipleship, a lot of great tools for you to take the text and dive deeper into the book of Acts personally throughout the week. Um, So that'll be available next week. But today, we wrap up our series about family by talking on singleness. Apparently, singleness is a growing population in America, making up 45.2% of adults, and that is the highest that number has ever been. Sociologists have studied singleness and have found that being single, it's a 50-50 split. Half of singles are single and ready to mingle. I mean, they're looking for a guy to look at them like Kanye looks at Kanye. It's like, I'm looking. I'm out there. But the other half are completely content. They're sick and tired of hearing people say, he's such a catch. Like, why is he still on the market? Or she's such a great girl. When's someone going to scoop her up? They're saying, I don't care. I'm single and I'm fine. I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything. Well, in 2016, a movie came out called How to Be Single. And so it's based in New York City, a city filled with lonely hearts. And Alice is the main character who is recently single, doesn't know how to do the single life. And so she meets Robin played by the British actress Rebel Wilson, and it's a funny movie, and Rebel takes her under her wing and teaches her the ropes. But if you just watch the preview, you'll see these taglines. If you're single and not having the best time of your life, you're doing it wrong, right? This idea of no commitment, just being single, just having the best time of your life is the cultural drive of what what it means to to not be in a relationship. And what what we realize is there are so many different views of the single life within our culture. For some people, it's great you're not Tied down? You're not committed. You can do whatever you want with whoever you want, whenever you want. It's a great place to be. While others see it as a a position to escape, it's like ah, I feel lonely. I feel sad. I don't don't want this. I want a relationship. And so we see there's different views. Well, today I'm going to talk about singleness, and it's not going to be tied to marriage. So my goal is not to push you into a relationship, but to understand singleness from a biblical biblical perspective. And if you're going, I'm married. Like this is not my talk. I want you to listen in, okay, because the singles listened to the marriage talk two weeks ago, but we're focusing this on God's Word. And I truly believe that the better we understand this together, the better church family we're going to be. So this is for everyone to pay attention to. So singleness, let's jump in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Real quick context to this. Paul wrote this letter to a church called in Corinth. This was Corinth was the Vegas of its day. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. It's a church made up of young, hip Christians who, who are living a life without limits. And, and so he's writing to them to give them instructions on how to be Christ-like. In the first six chapters, super structured, chapter seven and following, it's just a QA. He's he's fielding questions, and it feels kind of like he's shooting from the hip to give an answer to, to scatter shooting of questions. Right, So in verses 1 through 24, he addresses people who are single. He addresses people who are married, people who've been divorced, people who've been widowed, people who are looking. He addresses all of these things and shows that there's this kind of underlining dissatisfaction with where people are in life. Right? So he's, he's addressing people that are dissatisfied with their life stage. And so that's where we pick up in verse 25. It says, now concerning the betrothed, that's people who are engaged. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. If you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Right? He says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, so it's not wrong to marry or not marry. It says, yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. That last part of that verse is a little bit confusing because in chapter 5 of Ephesians, what we were focusing in on two weeks ago, Paul talks about marriage is beautiful. He's like, this is a picture of Jesus and how Jesus loved the church and it's amazing. And now he's going, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And so it's like, did he have a bad day? What changed in Paul's life? But here's what he's getting at in these verses, okay? He's showing that no life stage will ever fully satisfy you. So if you're single and you're like, if I just got married, it would be great. He's like, that's not going to satisfy you. If you're married and you're thinking, did I miss out on a part of life? And if I could just go back to being single, then I would be satisfied. He's like, no, it won't. There's no life stage that's going to satisfy you. All right? And so when he says, I would spare you of trouble, right? There are worldly troubles and I would spare you of that. What he's doing is he's talking to people who are single who think that, hey, there's like issues with me. And if I could just get married, maybe it would fix some of that stuff. And he goes, no, no. Marriage has its own set of problems, right? So think about this. Marriage has joys and it has complications, right? Singleness has other joys and other complications. And when you enter from singleness to marriage, you're just trading one set of problems for another set of problems. You're just trading one set of joys for another set of joys. And so they both have their own unique things. And so he's saying, look, if you think this is going to satisfy you, it's not. If you think getting married will fix you, it won't. Right? Look at verse 29. He says, this is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. That's like, wait, what? Is he saying ignore your wife? No, we'll get to this in a second. Those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. This seems really confusing. Is he saying like, suck in your emotions, don't show emotions, is he saying ignore each other? Not at all. Here's what's happening. Um, When people were looking to the Messiah, the Savior of the world to come, they thought there was an old way of life where sin existed, and in this sin, there's brokenness, there's pain, there's hurt, there's suffering, but when the Messiah came, there'd be a clean break, just black and white, and once the Messiah showed up, everything would be good. That you'd come over here, there'd be no pain, no suffering, just joyful shalom, and that's what people thought, but Jesus shows up, and he comes twice, right? He came the first time. Right? where he came in weakness as a suffering servant to, es- to establish his kingdom, to set us free from sin and to set us on a trajectory towards a new heaven and new earth. But we see that he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he comes as a victorious king to fully establish his kingdom. So instead of it being a break where it's old, new, there's this overlap, right? Where the new has begun, but the old still exists. And so in these verses that seem a little bit confusing at first, what's happening is Paul is getting extremely practical. What he's saying is in the between, as we wait for the the kingdom to fully come, as we live in this new creation where the old still exists, he goes, people are going to get married. People are going to have bad times where they mourn. People are going to have great times where they rejoice. People are going to buy and sell stuff. People are going to work. But here's what he's saying is don't overdo those things. Here, here's what I mean when I say don't overdo it. Is, is it okay to, to lose it when, thumps, when something goes wrong in life? Is it okay to mourn? Is it okay to weep? Is it okay? And Paul would say yes, but don't overdo it. Because we know that there's a time coming when every tear will be wiped away. All right? Is it okay to be ecstatic when, when you, you have your first child who's born or when you get a promotion or when something goes really well in life? Is it okay to be yes? But don't overdo it, because there's a greater joy to come. So what he's doing is he's taking these things and saying, "We do all these things, all these day-to-day activities, with eternity in mind. We do all of these things, knowing that there's something ahead that we're looking forward to." So yes, continue to live, but don't don't lose focus of what's to come. All right. So he's getting extremely practical, and in that, what he wants to show us, what he wants to show us is that. All the things in the in-between are ultimately pointing us to something better. None of this stuff is ultimate. The relief of pain is not ultimate. The the discovery of joy is not ultimate. Marriage is not ultimate. Singleness is not ultimate. The things that you have, he's showing us all these things, none of them are ultimate. They are pointing us to something better. They're pointing us to something better. Think about... um. Let's say you, have a, you go to a beach house with some friends. Not the condo where hundreds of people are in the same place and you have one pathway to the beach, but let's say you just have your own house with its walkway out to the beach where every day the sand is pristine, right? No one's trampled it. No one's tainted it. It's just good sand, all right? So if you sleep in, you just pass out, you sleep in, and you wake up and everyone's gone, you're like, where are they? They're at the beach. I'm missing out on beach time. So you go outside, and let's say they're not in sight, but you look at the sand, you can see footprints that'll point you to the direction that your friends, or your family, or your crew went, right? It's not the ultimate thing, but it's pointing you in that direction, right? So the imprint points you to what you're truly looking for, right? So what we see is marriage is pointing us to something greater. That's what we talked about two weeks ago, that marriage is this beautiful picture of Jesus and his love for the church. Marriage shows us that Jesus is strong and able to save, and not only is he able, but he desires to do so, and he does through, through his sacrificial love. So it's showing us Jesus, right? The question that we have, though, is because the church often talks about how marriage points to Jesus. Well, how does singleness point to Jesus? What is the imprint of singleness that shows Jesus as well? Well, if you think about it, marriage gives us the shape of the gospel. Singleness gives, its, gives us its sufficiency. In singleness, it points to how the love of Christ is enough. Singleness shows the watching world that Jesus is truly enough and that you're okay without without other things in between. Jesus isn't enough. That's all you need. It shows the world that the gospel is sufficient. Think of it like this. Um, Lucy and I, uh, we're doing a diet right now. She's like, don't use the word diet. You're going to warp our kids. Right? So we're doing something with food. Right? And so, but what we're doing right now is we're cutting out gluten, dairy, sugar, and, and like just... You know, some people have names for this, but like, all that to say, say, no gluten, no dairy. And we're doing it for six weeks. And then after that, we're going to reintroduce things, see how our body responds. I'm not intolerant to anything. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm good. Give me the cheese. Give me the bread. But Lucy, as we've cut out gluten, she's not eating bread, and she loves bread. I'm fine. Give me some meat. Give me some vegetables. I'm good. But she's like, I need the texture of bread. And so it didn't take long for her to Google, you know, like fake bread. And so what she's found out is you can get bananas and almond flour and some other things and bake it and it'll look like a loaf of bread and it gives you that texture. It's not the real thing. It's a substitute and it helps her to to hold over until the real thing comes, right? Until six weeks is up and we can reintroduce it. It's, It's holding her over. Well, as humans, we have these natural desires for acceptance, for joy in, in relationship, for security, to be loved, to be pursued, those are good desires that we have, right? And what happens is when we get married, we get a taste of what it's like to experience those things. We taste it. We, we get an experience, but, it, but it's, it's not the fullness of what's to come. So it helps us to, to hold over and experience those things until Jesus comes at a greater wedding Right? When Jesus comes and pursues us for the ultimate relationship we are created for. So when you're single, what you're able to do is you're able to say, I'm okay without the substitute bread because I'm satisfied in the bread of life to come. It's showing the watching world that Jesus is enough, that you're okay with where you are and that you don't feel like you're missing out on anything because you have Christ. So the singleness shows this beautiful picture that the gospel is sufficient. Right, so Now that now we've laid that groundwork, I want to talk about what singleness is not and what singleness is. Okay, What singleness is not and what singleness is. Three things that singleness is not. First, Christian singleness, I'll, I'll, I'll label it this way. Christian singleness is not secular singleness. Secular singleness, the way, the way that our culture tends to paint the picture of, is a world of no commitments. It's a world where you have freedom over your money, your schedule, your dreams. It's it's pursuing what you want to pursue without anything holding you back. That's kind of the the beauty of singleness in culture's eyes. It's just no commitments, no responsibilities. You have freedom. Now, that is not what Christ-centered singleness is because Jesus shows us a different way of life. The Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to lay his life down for many. right. And so what we see is that Jesus didn't come to say, just do whatever you want. He said, follow me and lay your life down for others. So it's not about your kingdom. It's about his. So it's it's not the same as our culture shows singleness to be. It's not secular singleness. The next thing I want to show you is that singleness is not loneliness or lack of love. So many people think like if if you're single, you're you're missing out. You've got to be lonely. You're missing out on what it means to be loved. And, And that's simply not true. An an interesting study that I I was reading up on shows that right now, cohabitation is at an all-time high. And they're showing that women between the ages of 20 and 30, 50% will cohabitate in that period of, like at one point between the time they're 20 and the time they're 30. And so, so, and women tend to cohabitate more than men. So like if you say, okay, why are you cohabitating? I don't wanna be lonely. Or you hear this, I just want to know if we're compatible. Like I want to know this person and who they are and what they're like before we commit to a lifetime of marriage. Like it's it's needed. But in that same study, you know what they're showing? Two-thirds, listen to this. If if especially if 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 you're cohabitating, two-thirds of relationships that begin in cohabitation and result in marriage end in divorce. Don't believe the lie that you have to know someone by living with them before you can be committed to them for a lifetime because the studies show that simply doesn't happen. That is a lie and God has a better design. So if you're like, I'm getting to know my person and then we'll know like if we're committed for the rest of our life, chances are you're gonna get a divorce. So if you don't wanna get a divorce, don't cohabitate. If you're living with someone you're not married to, move out. Like, stop doing it, right? It's not what's best for you, all right? And that's not like, well, the Bible says so, which I believe it does. That's what cultural science or social science is showing us to be true as well. Science is aligning with God's Word, all right? So, but you're like, well, I don't want to be lonely, <laughs> right? Like, singleness is not loneliness or lack of love. And how I know that is because the Bible or Scripture shows us a better, a better way for friendship, Okay, when you study scripture and see how friendship was meant to be, it's not surface level. It's not accepting a friend request or, or clicking to follow someone on social media. Friendship biblically is soul to soul knowledge of someone. It's knowing the hidden self. It's being deeply known and deeply loved by someone. And so biblical friendship is meant to be intimate. It's not romantic intimacy, but it is Intimate, And so when you have a friend that looks like David, King David in the Old Testament with his friend Jonathan, you experience not loneliness or lack of love, but you experience a companionship and you feel deeply known and deeply loved. So we just need to reclaim what friendship means, especially in a single state of life. And the third thing, probably the most important thing is this, singleness is not your identity. Listen, you are not defined by your life stage. If you think like, well, my life stage, like, oh, I'm, I'm married, I'm not married, I'm a parent, I'm not a parent, this is my job, this is my heritage, this is my family name. Like, none of those things define you, specifically your life stage, all right? So you are not defined by your life stage, you're defined by Christ. And so in Christ, you are loved you are valued, you are forgiven, you are accepted, you are purposed, and you are empowered for a calling, right? Now, your calling might change. You might change from being called to singleness to being called to be in a relationship, but your identity will never change. Calling might change, identity doesn't, right? So, what is Christian singleness? What is Christ-centered singleness? I believe it's a calling, I believe to be single is to view that stage of life, whether it's for a short period of time, a long period of time, or even for all time, to view it as a calling. So I'm just hanging out in the Sermon on the Mount right now, just diving deep. The Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, all right? Our Father in heaven. If he is our Father, what does that make us? His children. What does that give us? Identity. Hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means to make God's name, his character, known as holy. How do we do that? Like God wants us to help his holiness, his greatness to be made known to the world we're in. So two biggest questions we have as humans, who am I and what am I supposed to do with my life? First line of the Lord's prayer, all right? Your identity is you are a child of God. From that flows what I believe is your primary calling, which is to know God and to make God known. So we have an identity, we have a primary calling, and then we have a personal calling. Your personal calling is how do you use the unique way God has wired you and gifted you and where he has placed you to fulfill the purpose of your primary calling, which is to know him and make him known. So when you're single, it's, it's taking an audit. And wh- when you're married, it's taking an audit when you're in a relationship. But it's saying, okay, like, hey, what are my talents? What are the things I'm good at? What are the things I'm passionate about? Where's, where's God gifted me in my talents? How do I take my time? How do I how do I honor God with my time? How do I take my treasures, the thing that the the stuff that God has entrusted me for? How do I use those things and uniquely leverage them for my primary calling of knowing God and making him known? You see, when you think about singleness as a calling, what you realize is that single people have a unique capacity to serve Christ in a way that married people simply don't. Single people have a unique capacity to serve Christ and to serve the church like married people don't. And when you see it as a calling, you begin to live in that and say, I have a unique capacity that I'm not going to have at other points, and I want to leverage it now in a way that I won't be able to leverage it later. Think, I think about like, um, let's say you work out at a gym like Lifestyles or the Wellness Center, probably not Planet Fitness, but like, like, you, like you go to a gym and they have squat racks, Right? And you're like, Planet of Fitness does. I just didn't know. Right? So, like, like, you go to, there's a squat rack. A squat rack is meant for someone to get under some weight. Right? Like, it's, it's, it holds the barbell. It, you can put plates on that thing. It can hold weight so you can push more weight so you can get stronger, get bigger. Like, like that's, that's, like, but sometimes if you go to a, a gym, you'll find people in the squat rack doing bicep curls. And, like, they're just in there, and you're like, you're wasting space? Like, like like that squat rack is meant for so much more. Like do the curls over there, right? Like now are the curls beneficiary? Like are they helping that person? Yes. Like they're do curls, good things, all right? But are they utilizing the space they're in? No. All right? So when you spend your singleness on your kingdom instead of God's kingdom, you're wasting space that's meant to move so much more weight for his kingdom. So use that, use that time of your life and leverage it because you're never going to have that type of capacity ever again to serve God like you can now. That's why in verses 32 through 35, Paul talks about how this is a time where there are less things dividing your devotions. You have an undivided devotion to God when you are single, so use it, all right? Use that time of your life, all right? So as we wrap up, I want to give three things. One thing for singles, one thing for marrieds, and one thing for all of us, right? If you are single, thank God for it as a gift. Don't look at it as something that's bad or something to be frowned upon. It is a gift where you have a unique capacity to serve God like you won't ever have again. Thank God for it as a gift, and then make the most of it while you have it. Make the most of it while you have it. Think about the, the Pixar movie Onward where the elves like get, try to get their dad back. It's like they have a limited time to have their dad back for a day, and they want to make the most of it. It's like your singleness, use it as a gift and make the most of it while you have it. If you're married, let me say this. So often when we, we think about the, the church family, the, the single people I've talked to are like, I just feel like everyone's trying to get me set up with someone let's not view singleness as something that that needs to be escaped but let's see it as something that needs to be leveraged so let's take the the the, let's love on singles in a way that they feel like this is okay and this is good like let's see this as a vital part of the family that's needed for the church to flourish okay and then for both of us we need to know this neither marriage nor singleness will last forever neither marriage nor singleness will last forever so we need to keep our eyes fixed on heaven because the most important relationship we'll ever have is that which we have with Christ. One day, all of this will pass away and we will enter a better marriage with Jesus for all eternity. God, thank you for your word. I pray for those who are single this morning um, to feel deeply valued by you. Um, to I ask that you would empower them today, um, that you would strengthen them to say, God, how can I be used for you? How can I know you more? How can I make you known? God, let them make the most of this season of their life and help them to see it as a gift. God, for those who um, aren't single, God, help us to be a family, to make sure that everyone here feels valued and loved, that no one feels lonely, but God, let us be together, linked arms. God, I ask that you would create relationships where there's adopted uncles, adopted aunts, adopted brothers and sisters um, through us all, being a family that's, that's maybe not the same last name, but the same name we're baptized in. <laughs> um, that's what's deeper than anything else. God, we love you. time we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.